as speech pathologists, we, we do really get it. We understand the importance of communication and, and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or, or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions. And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. My name is Chantelle Edlington and I'm the Senior Advisor of Justice and Mental Health at Speech Pathology Australia. And today I am joined by Kate Headley, who is a certified practicing speech pathologist who currently works as part of a multidisciplinary clinical team delivering trauma-focused intervention to children living in out-of-home care in Newcastle, New South Wales. Kate has a strong focus on early intervention strategies to improve quality of life outcomes for children and teenagers who face a range of vulnerabilities. I've asked Kate to join me today to discuss this highly important area of practice after receiving more and more inquiries from clinicians around the country who are new to working with children in out-of-home care and or who have experienced significant trauma, abuse or neglect. Many clinicians have explained that they have commenced working with children in these sorts of backgrounds on the back of NDIS funding, but are finding it hard to achieve the same results in clinical settings as they would with typically developing children. Hello, Kate, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Kate, as a speech pathologist, how did you become involved in this area of practice? Yeah, so my work experience for many years was through the New South Wales Government Disability Services. So for a really long time, I was working with people across the lifespan who had significant physical and intellectual disability. But it was, I guess, as I was developing my skills in disability services, I was starting to learn a lot more about complex trauma, starting to work in some partnerships with um, government agencies where children with disability were living in out-of-home care. And... um, I guess really developing a curiosity and, and um, um, recognition that I needed to understand that area of practice a bit more. And then a few years ago, my family and I moved from Western New South Wales to Newcastle in New South Wales. And it was a, you know, I guess just a, a lucky coincidence that not long after I moved, the New South Wales government set up a pilot project called the Lynx Trauma Healing Service. Mm -hmm. And that was a research project um, focusing on multidisciplinary intervention for children who were living in out-of-home care with a real focus on delivering um, treatments for the complex trauma they had experienced. And um, I was lucky enough to be recruited to one of those speech pathology positions and for the last few years has have had a real focus on complex trauma in my practice. Great. Sounds really, really interesting and what a fantastic opportunity. Um, my next question is, can you describe the work you do and explain how it differs from other areas of practice you've worked in? Yeah, so I guess 
in many ways, it doesn't differ um, in the sense that, you know, as a clinician, I'm still spending my days meeting with children and young people, um, their carers, their teachers, the support people and their networks to kind of understand the challenges a young person is experiencing in their day and to learn about their communication, language, literacy skills. Um, So for me, in my current role with links, that involves trying to screen and touch base with all young people that are referred to our service to then do some more assessment when needs are identified or the young person wants to investigate some of their difficulties themselves and providing speech pathology interventions to young people. Um, But there's also some extra roles that I'm playing within my team at the moment, the current roles. So um, part of our work in our team is that sometimes we're supporting young people with differential diagnosis for maybe some um, disability that hasn't been previously identified that is, you know, co-occurring on their background of complex trauma. I also find that my role involves a huge amount of advocacy work and education and um, I don't think that's new to any speech pathologist in any role really. But what's new for me in this role is that I guess more broadly as a community there isn't a really high understanding on how negative experiences in childhood can impact the development of communication skills Mm. and so I found that I have to spend a lot of time in my role providing that education and knowledge as a way of advocating for young people getting the services that they need to help overcome some of those barriers. Mm. Um, And then what is also a bit different in my role is that I'm often working with the mental health clinicians in our team to help make the mental health interventions for a young person more accessible. So, you know, many of the mental health interventions um, to treat trauma in children are very language-based And so there is a real need to work collaboratively with mental health clinicians to identify how we can ensure a young person can access the trauma treatment that they need, Mm -hmm. um, but the way that, you know, they can actually access it from a language and communication point of view. Mm, Absolutely. It's, it's, It's huge and something that I think speech pathologists are going to be helping out with for a long time to come. I'm wondering, Kate, if there are things that people considering working in this area of practice need to be aware of and what makes an ideal clinician in this area of work if such a magical beast exists, I guess? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would hate to suggest that I'm that because I think, you know, every clinician brings their, you know, their their strength to a role. Um, I was you know, having a little reflect on that prior to today. And I think, you know, from a knowledge point of view, Mm -hmm. I think if you are going to be working with people who've experienced complex trauma, 
regardless of whether they're still children or if they're later in their life but experience that as a child, I think having a strong knowledge of the neurological processes underpinning complex trauma is actually really essential knowledge. Mm. So understanding how the brain's threat detection systems work and how neurological development changes if complex trauma is experienced in childhood is you know, really essential knowledge. I think um, in terms of clinical knowledge, it's also really helpful if you've had some experience and opportunity to develop your skills around behaviour support mm. because often um, young people's support needs, the first red flag of their support needs is coming from concerns around their behaviour. So having that knowledge of functional behavioural analysis, understanding the correlation between communication disorder and behaviours of concern um, is really, really helpful. Um, I think, of course, being able um, to have cl a clinical reflective skills and you know, that person-centred practice framework mm. where you are able to work with a young person in that really holistic way and be driven by what's important to them mm. um, and that that's balanced with what's important for them um, are really important clinical skills. Mm. I think in my experience, young people who've experienced complex trauma are often working with a multitude of different professionals because the impacts of complex trauma are so broad. So you really do need good skills in being able to work as part of a team and to be able to collaborate with other professionals and, you know, including the young person as part of that uh, collaboration. And then I was kind of thinking about the personal characteristics away from clinical skills and knowledge. And um, when I look at colleagues who I admire mm. their work with young people, I do notice that they um, are often very patient um, people. That's a, a mm. common personality trait that they seem to have. But there's also this, you know, you said, does the magic beast exist? To me, there's this little bit of magic sometimes that I kind of call, um, I just make up a word, but unflappability <laughs> is kind of what I think of. And what I mean by that is there is a real skill in being able to work with someone who might be experiencing really significant emotional distress mm. Um, there's a real skill in being able to respond quickly and appropriately to what that person needs, but not in a way that further escalates their distress. Mm. And some of that is about your own mindfulness and being able to manage your own feelings in a moment and your own emotions in order to be able to respond to a young person and their emotional distress in the moment. So... Yeah, I think there is um, a range of skills and knowledge clinically that sometimes align really well with some different interpersonal skills and, and character traits. Mm, absolutely. What do you think are the key challenges for speech pathologists working with children who have experienced significant trauma? 
I think um, first and foremost, I do think that there are some service system challenges. Mm. I think, you know, not only my own experiences, but talking with lots of other clinicians who are supporting young people in out-of-home care, um, people do express difficulties. We've been able to um, collaborate with caseworkers, and that might be because of time limitations. It might be because of restrictions around the way services can be developed. It can be because, unfortunately, young people might have lots of frequent change in their caseworker. Um, and also in regards to service system changes, sometimes it can be really, really difficult to find any previous documentation or get access to previous documentation about a young person or even to know whether they've had previous services or been seen by other professionals. I think clinically for me, one of the real key challenges and one of my learnings over the last few years is that developing my understanding that there is such a huge variability in a young person's presentation mm. and then knowing how to support and educate people around that young person to understand that variability. So I've had, you know, not uncommon experiences of having difficulties with people around the young person understanding that they have a communication difficulty because they might say, oh, but he could do that yesterday or he mm. was doing that just fine earlier this morning. Um, and that's where I kind of think that knowledge then of the neurological processes underlying complex trauma can be really helpful because a big part of the role is education around complex trauma and helping people to understand that a young person's support needs can actually change moment to moment across the day depending on the internal and external stressors that they're experiencing in any given moment. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it really is helping people to understand that people aren't just, you know, can or can't do things. It's a, it's a lot about, you know, what's going on for us, both inside our, our minds and external to us in our context. Mm, that's so, right. Yeah. So I guess added to that, what are two or three pearls of wisdom you would have for speech pathologists who work in or are considering working in this area? I think you've covered hmm. probably a couple anyway, mm. just to reiterate. Yeah, so probably the first one, like, kind of links with what I was just saying. I think for me it's taken time and practice to um, develop my explanation of complex trauma and the impacts. And I think feeling really confident in your ability to do that is a really key skill to bolt down early because you're going to draw on that in many, many interactions across your day. Um, and so if that can just come to you automatically and you feel really fluent and confident in how to teach that, um, that's really super helpful. Um, I think sometimes I think, you know, as an allied health provider, 
we can feel, you know, I guess an internal or external pressure to apply simple solutions in complex situations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes someone might just say, can you just do a formal assessment or, you know, can you do a block of intervention and, and yeah, kind of magically fix this problem. And I think it's really important that we have a professional confidence um, to be able to articulate the complexities of a situation and just, you know, look at how we can value add for a young person in a situation, but knowing that in the context of complex trauma, it's not ever going to be all about uh, speech pathology service. And I really advocate for the the idea that speech pathology is often a really key, important component of support for a young person that can really reduce their cumulative impacts of their complex trauma. But as clinicians, we need to not feel burdened by a sole responsibility mm. around that as well and recognise that there's a lot going on for young people often. And then um, I guess finally, I kind of want to advocate that I think there's a lot of reason to feel really hope-filled about working um, and delivering speech pathology services to young people who've experienced complex trauma. And that's for many, many reasons. Um, first of which is we know that um, vulnerability and disadvantage is cumulative. So any opportunity to intervene and provide um, support is having, you know, tenfold um, impact as that person gets older. Um, but also in my clinical experience, I have had so many young people through our program respond incredibly well to speech pathology intervention. Mm. And it has been really, really life-changing for them. And, you know, positive feedback from carers and teachers just saying, you know, practically they were able to get up and do their speech in class or their reading's really improving or they're much more confident in talking with other people now. So um, I think we can feel really hope-filled around um, what we can offer as a profession in this area of practice. Mm, yeah, absolutely. We can make a huge difference. All right, and finally, what would you like to see in the future in terms of what the speech pathology profession looks like, its range, and how we work with vulnerable children? Yeah, look, this feels like, um, you know, a podcast in itself, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> I, um, I think, you know, for me, one of the priority things that I often think about is that more and more we are getting the research to understand where opportunities for preventative work exist for speech pathologists. So, you know, I really advocate that if people haven't looked at the first 1,000 days research, mm -hmm. that they take the time to look at some of that information because for me it helps guide where the opportunities are for speech pathologists to make really significant whole of community level health change mm. um we know that 
um, as I said before, vulnerability is cumulative. So I think the opportunities exist to intervene early with babies and infants and their caregivers to prevent future language communication and literacy disorder, um, which is, you know, immensely significant, I think. Um, and I think that's really a place of practice for speech pathologists in the future. Music to my ears, Kate. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today and um, all the best moving forward. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.